0: everybody. My name is Jordan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff at Renaissance, and I am extremely excited to be with you all on this church and chill Sunday. Uh, One of my greatest joys, actually, I'm a big extrovert, so uh, I was struggling in that pandemic. Uh, One of my biggest joys is meeting new people and also connecting with old friends. So I hope I get a chance to meet you for those who are in the building, and for those of you watching online, I hope I get to meet you in the coming weeks. So hey, my perfect day off is a day on the couch eating flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> I might mix in some Reese's Pieces later on, not together, I'm not a weirdo. Um, and I love when I, when I get a chance to watch a new show or a new documentary. A couple years back I watched a documentary on Netflix that actually changed the way I saw a really important passage in scripture. It's a documentary called White Helmets and it took place in a war-torn country that had been ravaged by bombs. Now, White Helmets described a crew of people who were going on search and rescue missions. And there was this one climactic scene in the documentary that they were in search of a one-month-old boy. You could see the parents and the family members hovered around the area, and minute after minute that had gone by, the increasing anxiety and worry that they were experiencing. An hour after hour had gone by, and still no luck in finding the baby. After 16 long, hard hours of digging and searching, they heard a cry. The crew uh, feverishly ran and picked up the last block, and I'll never forget the emotion that they experienced when they lifted this baby up in the air. This baby, which they had feared to be lost, was now found. And the only reasonable response is to celebrate. Their celebration was this raw combination of emotion that wasn't just little claps here and there. It was smiles. It was tears. It was hugs. It was a celebration. Now, Jesus tells a series of, scripture, a series of stories in Luke 15. And if you've been to church a couple of times, you, you might have heard these stories. And all of these stories have the same art. Something was lost. And then it becomes found. And after it is found, the only reasonable thing to do is to celebrate. Uh, so in Luke 15, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. And he says, suppose one of you has a sheep. And one of your sheep goes missing. Wouldn't you leave 99 sheep to go, after the, to go in search of the one that is missing? And when you find that sheep, you will go to your neighbor and say, rejoice with me. This sheep of mine which was lost is now found.'" Lost, found, party. He goes on to tell another uh, parable. He says, which one of you, if you have a coin, would you not dig all through the crib looking for it? And if you find that coin, you will go to your neighbor and say, rejoice with me. That which is lost is now found. Lost, found, party. Jesus goes further and he tells a story about a father and his two sons. And this son, the, the younger uh, son of his, uh, I'm a younger child, so I kind of resent that a little bit, but uh, the younger child uh, goes to his father and demands his share of the inheritance. He goes to his father and asks for his share, and the scripture says that he goes to a far and distant place. He goes to an island with all his father's money. <laughs> he gets there and he blows everything he has. And then there's a twist in the story, what ends up happening is a famine hits the land. See, a lot of times we could be a little bit reckless with our money, and this is what the son was doing, but after he was reckless, a famine hits, and there's no opportunities for work or labor. When famines, hit, when famines hit, there's nothing you can do, certainly if you had been spending your money unwisely before. So the son is sitting there by himself, and he's down on his luck as an understatement. He's eating what they are feeding the pigs, and while he's eating this food, he's saying to himself, yo, I'm really bugging. At my father's house, even the servants eat much better than this. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back home to my father's house, and I'm going to ask him if I can be one of his servants. That's a great idea. The scripture says, as he's reasoning to himself, it says that he came to his senses. After he came to his senses, he starts this journey home, and the the Bible uses a phrase, Jesus uses a phrase that is one of the most profound statements in all of scripture, It says, while his son was still a long way off, the father saw him. I imagine that the father had been going out every single morning looking in the distance for his son. And one day, against all odds, he sees him. The father does something that is completely undignified in his time. He runs toward his son. His son is there rehearsing the speech of all the things that he has done wrong and is preparing to give his father the terms by which he can agree to so he can come back in, saying, Father, I'm going to come back in as your servant. His father's like, bro, stop, stop, stop. Gives him a hug and embraces him. Goes to his uh, servants to say, yo, get him the robe, kill the fattened calf because this son of mine was lost and now he is found. And the only thing left we can do is party. Now, I've read Luke 15 a number of times in my life and I've read it at low points where I was disgusted with myself. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that, where you have done something or a series of things or you just found yourself in a situation where the best way to describe it is you just feel lost. Sometimes we are lost, not because of anything dramatic, but sometimes we're lost like the sheep. We just wander, we just drift. A couple of uh, months ago, there was something going around Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, a video of a sheep, I think it was in Ireland, where the shepherd freed the sheep and the sheep got free and like four seconds later jumped into another ditch. And I think that's so true of us sometimes that we are like sheep. We wander, we drift away, and we find ourselves in ditches. And I think the good news of this story, the first part of the story, is that even if you find yourself wandering away, we have a good Savior that is not waiting for you, but he is going after you. One of the dangers in this life is that the spiritual current of this world will take you away to drift and all you need to do is nothing. If you go to the beach this summer and you lay out in the water, if you close your eyes, 20 seconds later, a minute later, you'll find yourself in a different position. All of us are in danger of drifting in our spiritual lives. And if that's you, Jesus will come after you. Sometimes we find ourselves in positions that we didn't even know how we got there. The coin was an inanimate object that is now lost, and we don't know what happened, how it got lost, but the good news of Jesus is that even if you find yourself in a position that you have no idea how you got there, he'll go in search of you. And when he finds you, he wants to celebrate. The story continues with the younger child who goes and in every regard, intentionally, makes a series of terrible decisions that lead him to a terrible place. One of the things that I've discovered about my own life that you might also find uh, to be true is that I don't think this son, when he, de- when he decided to go off to this far land and spend all the money, I don't think he ever thought his life would end up in a way that it did. Uh, one of the reasons that that is the, the case is sin always hides the price tag. It looks good on the outside. Uh, years ago, probably decades ago now, y'all remember that show punk They used to come on MTV. I used to love it when they would like, take these B and C list actors, the ones that they, they kind of got bred, but not really, and they would take them on a shopping spree, and in the, in the store they would have like a belt and like three T-shirts, and the star stylist would be like, yo, you're going to kill it when you hit the red carpet in that joint, and they would be like, ooh, yo, when I put this joint on, it's over for them, it's, like, it's a wrap. And they go to the cash register, and they're like, all right, that will be $72,000. <laughs> And the star is always like, there's no way I would have chosen to put that on the counter if I knew it cost that much. Well, in so many different ways, sin does that in our lives. James says it like this in James 1 and 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, listen to this, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Sin enters into our life as a seed, as something small, and then it grows in our lives until we can't control it anymore. And even if you find yourself sowing seeds of sin in your life, sin that separates you from God, we serve a God that if you come to your senses, and maybe you're there right now, and you are wondering whether or not God will accept you, the answer is enthusiastically yes. He won't just sit on the porch and wait for you to come, for you to explain yourself. He'll run after you. He'll be undignified in his hugs and kisses over you. God wants you home. The same rejoicing that they had in white helmets is the rejoicing that every, that heaven erupts in every time a sinner comes to his senses, comes to her senses. Lost, found, and party. Now, these are all amazing truths that I I hope are, uh, that conjure up real deep emotions of how much the gospel is really, truly unlike anything else in this world. But when Jesus told this story in Luke 15, it actually had a different intention. Now, here's why Jesus told stories. Jesus told stories so that his listeners might truly see fragments of themselves. Now, the full meaning of this parable does not just give people warm and fuzzies. And Jesus leaves this story actually on a cliffhanger. The story goes from lost, found, party with the sheep. And then again, lost, found, and party with the coin. And then with the younger brother, lost, found, and party. Something was out of place. Then it gets located and put back in the right place. And then there's a celebration that ensues. This story, however, does not end on a party. It ends with the older brother standing outside. The father runs, uh, the father's inside the party, the music is going, they got the halal meat uh, popping in there with white sauce and a hot sauce. <laughs> it is a full out celebration. And then the father notices something is missing. He notices, as he's looking around, he notices that his oldest son is not in the building. So scripture says he goes out and he pleads with his son and he's saying, yo, come in. And his brother, he notices that his oldest son is furious and angry. He says, your younger brother, was, he was lost, and now he's found. And we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate this. And Jesus leaves this story on a cliffhanger. We don't know whether his oldest son ever got inside the party. Now, why did Jesus tell this story? Jesus told this story and so many others so that we can find ourselves in them. See, this is the, the purpose of a powerful story, that you see yourself in it. Now, who was Jesus' audience Who did he want to see, who did he want to communicate this to? And we see this in verses 1 through 3. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this, so he told them this parable. Jesus tells them a parable to the Pharisees and to the uh, scribes so that they can locate themselves in the story. And Jesus leaves a cliffhanger with the older brother because they are not the coin, they are not the sheep, they are not the younger brother, they are the older brother. Now, I love a good story because it makes you see yourself in it. Years ago, probably decades ago now, one of my favorite movies, John Q, came out. And um, yeah, my pops is right there. He knows what I'm about to say. So John Q comes out and my dad goes to the movie. and uh, he called me and my brother right as soon as the movie was done. And he called me first because I'm his favorite child. And <laughs> I could tell he had been crying and it was a one sentence conversation. He was like, you know you would've had that heart, right? I was like, yes, pop. He was like, all right now, I'll catch you later. <laughs> that's the way men in my family, that, that's, that, that was deep right there, all right now. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. So when you see a good movie, when you, see a, when you read a good story, what happens? You see yourself in this story. Jesus told this story to the Pharisees and to the scribes. They would have never identified themselves with the younger brother. These dudes kept the law to the T. Who they were was the older brother, the ones who were mad that Jesus was talking and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus was telling them this story because he wanted them to see themselves standing on the outside of the celebration of God's grace. God's grace was standing right there in front of him. The very manifestation in flesh and blood was there to save them, and they wanted nothing to do with it. So Jesus tells them this story, and by extension, I think it's a warning to us as well. So here's the thing, if you live long enough, and for those of you who are uh, following Jesus, there probably was a point, and I hope there was a point in your life where you identified with a younger brother, that you had serious questions And this happens cyclically in our lives, and it might be times in our spiritual lives where we have serious questions and reservations whether or not God would accept us and love us. And we need to see this younger brother so we can see the depth and the breadth and the height, the incomprehensible love of God, as Paul says in scripture. But if you live long enough, you live long enough to turn from the younger brother to the older brother, the one who stands on the outside and will not celebrate grace. The one that Paul says of the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, that which was started in the spirit, do you now wish to continue it in the flesh? Are you trying to live out all that God is trying to do in your life? Are you doing it on your own efforts? Somehow we, we all seem to revert. Now there's a couple of takeaways that I want us to all evaluate and in, in, as we're looking at the story of the father and his two sons. Now if you've ever read this story in, in the Bible, if you get to the Bible and the headlines, it always says the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then it says the prodigal son. This story is not the prodigal son. Uh, commentators and theologians for years have done this, and I feel like people have just hit repeat on it every time they do a Bible translation. And I, although I have never been asked to do a Bible translation or to be a part of one of those committees, if I ever hop in one of those rooms, I'll say, we have to rename this story. This story is not about the prodigal son. This story is what Jesus says in the first line of it. A father had two sons, a father, a loving father has two sons, and both of them are lost, but for different reasons. Many of us are like the older brother, we're we're lost in our own self-righteousness. And this is what Jesus is hoping to communicate to his audience. So I think we need to take away a couple of key things from this scripture, from this story. Um, The first thing I want us to be taking away is we need to pay attention what angers you. Pay attention what makes you mad. Verses 28 through 30, it says, Then he, the oldest brother, then he became angry and did not want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not his brother, when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes. You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Now, the fattened calf in their society was something that was essentially reserved for the best day of your life. The fattened calf was something that you would would use literally to celebrate the best day of your life. And it was something that's so big and precious that you wouldn't just constrict the celebration to the people in your household, because you wouldn't want it to go to waste. There was no refrigeration. So you would invite basically everybody, even people you ain't like. You would just be like, yo, tell all of them. Yeah, Tommy, bring him too. Yes, everybody can come. (laughs) Because you wouldn't want this to go to waste. So everybody is in the party, except for the brother, because he's angry. Why is he angry? Now, I knew that I was the older brother years ago. I think the first time that it really hit me that, it, that I can locate myself in this story, that I was angry at God being gracious to other people, God giving other people things that I didn't think that they deserved. About a decade ago, and I was sitting uh, in the hospital with my late wife, and um, I was, uh, my late wife, she was going through cancer treatment, and I was scrolling through Facebook, and this was be- before Facebook became the cesspool that it is today. <laughs> and, I was actually having a good day. Uh, It's hard to describe my faith journey at that point, but I would have moments of clarity, moments of faith, where I would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and the bad Negro, and I would say to myself, even if God doesn't heal her, even if God doesn't heal her, even if she doesn't make it, I will still live my life in service of him. And I would feel that genuinely and authentically with my full self. But then there were moments where I feel like I would be so overtaken by anger, where I would be so mad. And this one day I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw a post from a a guy I went to college with and uh, he just posted that him and his wife were pregnant. And I was so furious, not because of the good fortune that happened in his life, but because I knew him and he was a grimy dude. Like there's no other way to describe him other than like, he's just a grimy dude and he did his wife so dirty so many times. And I was thinking to myself like, God, this dude cheats on his wife left and right. I have done everything right. Me and my wife, we, wait, we waited till we got married to, to go to go there. Are the kids here? All right. <laughs> my niece is here, my niece is here. We waited till we got married. We were abstinent until we were married. And I was, I was besides myself with anger, thinking to myself, God, this dude is living his absolute best life. And you have me here in this hospital. Now, pain and suffering make life hard. Life was hard for me, regardless of what was going on. But what makes life miserable and what makes you angry is not your situation. What made me angry and miserable was not being in that hospital. What made me angry and miserable at God was me comparing myself and saying, God, you have given other people things that you should have given me. When the older son compares himself to the younger brother and says, this dude has spent all of your money blindly, devoured your estate, it's never coming back, and you're going to give him the absolute best? How dare you? and he was angry. Pay attention to what angers you. Pain and suffering in your life will always be difficult. By the grace of God, you and I can walk through pain and suffering with humility and with grace, and God gives us just enough light for the step ahead. You will be able to persevere, and you will be able to hold on because God is holding on to you. Amen. However, what will destroy whatever thin thread of faith that you have is self-righteousness, is when you compare yourself to other people and when you refuse to celebrate grace. Now, this is not just this one story. This is stories all over the Bible. There's a scripture in Matthew 20, another parable that Jesus tells to illustrate the depth of God's grace, and it's called the generous landowner. And it says there was a man who owned a field, and he needed some people to work on it. So he goes out at six in the morning and gets some people to work on the field. And these guys are working hard. And then he realizes he needs some more people to work, so that at 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes out again and gets more people and says, come on, we need more people to work. He does the same thing at noon and then again at like 5 p.m. towards the end of the day. And then like an hour after those last people got there, like at 6 p.m., it says the landowner lined up everybody from the people who got there last to the people who got there first, just so everybody could see what everybody else was getting. And the landowner goes to the, first, the people who got there last and gives them a denarii. And the dudes on the end are like, yo, we about to eat. If he gave them that, son, we about to eat. We going to steaks tonight, bro. We about to eat. And he gives everybody the same thing. And then they're furious. The people who got there first are absolutely beside themselves. And here's a landowner's response. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Or are you angry because I'm generous? Are you angry because God is generous? See, that has nothing to do with, that has nothing to do with your situation. It's us evaluating ourselves, comparing ourselves to other people. And comparison, the road of comparison only has two exits, pride or discouragement. There's only two exits on that road. And one of the things that I found myself doing over the years, cause I've been like, all right God, how do I stop comparing myself to other people. Like, how do I actually do that? And there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that talks about comparing yourself is like chasing after the wind. And what I do in those moments where I'm comparing myself to some other people, I say, Jordan, you're chasing after the wind. When have you ever caught it? Never. And I repeat that scripture to myself over and over again. Me doing this right now is like chasing after the wind. So I would strongly encourage yourself, if you find yourself in a position where you're, incur- where you're comparing yourself to someone else and you feel the anger rising up inside of you, tell yourself you're chasing after the wind. So the first thing we need to always pay attention to is pay attention to what angers us. The second takeaway that I want us to be thinking about is to interrogate your motivations. Interrogate your motivations. Here's the thing about Christianity, what you do absolutely matters. Why you do it matters even more. What you do matters for sure. This is not a license to do whatever you want. Why you are doing the things that you are doing matters even more. That's the deep discipleship that Jesus wants to form inside of us. Jesus is not one to program us like robots. He wants to reprogram our entire spirit so that our motivations down to that level is being transformed and renewed. In verses 29 through 30, It says, but he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, uh, who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Now, there's an old preacher that told a story, and it goes that there was a king who ruled over everything in the land. And this was a, a good king that people loved and respected. One day, a gardener comes to this king with an enormous carrot, and he took it to the king and said, my lord, my king, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you out of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned this man's heart, so he turned and said to the man, wait, wait, don't leave yet. Because you are such a good steward of the land, I want to give you 100 acres to continue to garden. The man was beside himself with joy and enthusiasm and ran out. There was another person in the king's court who was ear-hustling and heard what was going on. This man raised horses. So he said to himself, if this is what the king will give you for a carrot, like if he's giving out 100 acres for a carrot, think about what he would give me for one of my prize horses. So the next day the nobleman came before the king and he was walking in with sea biscuit he bowed to the king and said, my lord, my king, I breed horses. And this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or will breed. And therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king knew his motives and said to the man, thank you. The man was confused and bewildered and turned around and said, king, I don't, I don't understand it. The king said to the man, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot but you were giving yourself the horse. A lot of us, if you were to interrogate our motivations, our motivations for our behavior, everything we do is actually just a way that we want to behave so that we can control what happens and doesn't happen in our life. The concept of God's free grace in our lives is something that's actually terrifying because if God had to treat us like a taxpayer who's paying taxes for a land. If God had to treat us like a, like a, a landlord treats a, a tenant who's paying his or her rent on time, then you and I have rights. We have a say in what's going on in, in our life. But if we don't have a say, if we can't earn anything, then it almost feels like we have no control. What the oldest son was doing here was not obeying his father for the love that he had for his father. He was obeying his father. And you can see the words that he uses, like, I've been slaving for you all these years. He resented his father. He was just doing it so that he can control his half of the estate. He wasn't doing it for his father. He was doing it for himself. Over the years, I've seen my own mixed motivations. To be perfectly honest, I'd be embarrassed to tell you how many times I have had corrupt motivations and the good things that I've done. Over the years, I've learned that becoming a mature mature Christian is not just repenting of the bad that I've done, but it's repenting of the good that I have done so that I can try to control God. God is good. God is gracious. God is beyond our understanding. God cannot and will not be controlled. And I think all of us need, we, we would do ourselves very well if we evaluated why we are doing things and ask ourselves the question, God, what if you don't give me the life that I think I deserve? Would I still serve you then? What if you don't give me the thing that I've been praying for? Are you still good? Would we celebrate grace? Would we be able to go into the party? Now this man certainly wasn't doing it for the love that he had for his father. He was doing it for himself. And the third takeaway is, I want us to assess your assurance. Now I'm a preacher so I love alliteration. Uh, Basically, to assess your assurance means to think about how confident are you that God is actually for you and loves you? Like, do you actually believe that? What needs to happen in your life so that you would actually truly, thoroughly believe that and walk in the freedom of that? Now, in verses 29 to 32, we see it says, But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. One of the things I've learned over the last decade in counseling and therapy is that anger is a mask emotion. Rarely is the anger that you experience in your life directly based on something that has happened to you in the immediate uh, uh, before, beforehand. Anger is usually a masked emotion for sadness and fear. And let me help you out, my brothers in here. Society has told us that we're weak if we feel sad or we, or we, fear, or we feel fearful. So we, we use anger because that's the closest thing to it. So this son, you see him being so angry, and what is really truly going on beneath the surface in his life? He's afraid. He is afraid that he doesn't matter to his father. So he says, Father, you never gave me anything. What is he doing? He's going back and he's evaluating, and his fear is now being put on full display. He is afraid that he does not matter to, the, to his father. And as a result, he, he's angry. And if we were to truly assess our assurance and think about, do we truly feel like we matter to God? Do we truly feel like we matter to God? If we don't feel like we matter to God, then we're gonna be on the outside, unable and unwilling to celebrate grace. So how do we step into the party that God has prepared for us? I think we do first the hard work of exposing the things in our life that are like this older brother, and we've just spent the last half hour talking about these things, thinking about what we're angry about, looking at our motivations, thinking about how assured we feel that God loves us based not on what we have done, but based on the gospel, right? If God gave you Jesus, how much more, like what else does he need to give us besides him, his son on the cross for our sins? And we're do, in doing this and assessing our assurance and thinking about how uh, assured we are in what God has done for us in Christ, I think it will expose a lot in us, but we can't just stop in exposing stuff. I think we also need to really celebrate grace And what is grace? Now a lot of commentators have said that Jesus is actually the true older brother and what the people would have been expecting to hear in the part of the story when the younger brother goes off is they would have been expecting to hear that the older brother went after his younger brother. But he didn't do that in this story. But Jesus is the true older brother that John 1 says came down and put on flesh in pursuit of us. There's a story in Time Magazine that took place in the Vietnam War and during the war there was a man who was shot down behind enemy lines and he was missing in action. His American brother sold everything that he had and went to Vietnam in search of his brother. When people in the jungles uh, heard uh, heard about him, the villagers and the enemy soldiers, they heard his story and they respected him so they let him walk around. Now this man at the risk of his life went in search of his brother to bring him home and he was able to. Now the story of the gospel is that Jesus heard that we were behind enemy lines. And he put on flesh, not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, not at the risk of his life but at the cost of his life. He came in pursuit of us behind enemy lines. And he did it because he loves us. And he brought us home, back home with our Father. Now you and I need the gospel not just every single week or come to church on Sunday. We need it every single day. We need to be rehearsing it over and over and over again because that is the only thing that will soften our hard hearts to be able to celebrate God's grace. Now, let me tell you something about uh, God's grace. What we've seen in this story so far is that one sheep gets more attention than 99. One hour workers get the same paycheck as 12 hour workers. Grace is terrible math. And as long as you are trying to understand God's ways, which are higher than our ways and God's thoughts, which are higher than our thoughts in the merit of meritocracy, grace will always frustrate and confuse you. So we need God's grace to wash over us every single day, to see ourselves not as dirty, wretched sinners, but foreknown, predestined, called, justified and glorified. God's people who he came on a mission for So I wanna pray for us that God in his infinite wisdom will be gentle with us, older brothers and older sisters. So God, our Father, I thank you for awareness. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are feeling a heavy heart right now. Lord, I pray that they don't feel any shame. I pray that they would see what the enemy has been trying to do in their lives. And in that, Lord, they, they can see your hand guiding them along the way guiding them away from self-righteousness. Father, I see how ridiculous my self-righteousness is, and I repent. I pray that you would forgive me and forgive us for all the ways we trust in ourselves. We try to manipulate you. We don't trust and, and accept your goodness for us. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and let us go in the party. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.